Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. We like that. All in one place for totally free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your cellular telephone or your computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else, those other places that podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&As and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions, and best of all, it's totally free zero catch we've been using it ever since we started how long gone and ever since i discovered spotify for podcasters i feel like having the option of turning off the q a's and the polls on the user dashboard <laughs> has really helped uh, boost my creativity and take it to another level i highly recommend giving it a try download the spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started Hello. What up? What's up, bro? Damn, just just saw a picture of Harry Styles at the protest. <laughs> so it's finally hitting home for you. <laughs> no, I'd love to see it though, man. You know, let's just, I, I knew it was. I knew my king would land on the right side of history. Hmm. Um. Where Where are you at now? You so. You 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 started driving through America yesterday, or two uh, days ago. Yeah, um, man, it is depressing. Um, I I drove from uh, New York to Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I got there and it was, I mean, basically everything boarded up. Uh, you know, but but just. You know, it, it's just, it was like 90 degrees and sunny and it, it's just a very weird feeling and, mm-hmm. and visually. But a, a follower today hit my DMs. I'd already left, but they, uh, the mayor announced he was taking down this like famous Confederate statue today. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like a big deal. So I would have loved to see that actually, but, but I was already, um, on the road. Uh, and now I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, which has a, uh fraught history uh when it comes to uh racial injustice mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i actually just participated in a protest outside and it was um very young actually like because you know it's a college town mm-hmm. um but like i felt very old but it was it was small but everybody was young and it was pretty diverse i mean but the the you know no adults being there kind of says a lot um sure not not no adults, but you know what I'm saying. Like it's clearly people are 21 years old, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is like kind of who you would expect to be participating in this in, in a town of, of this nature and size. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, I, I, the, the it's fucked up. I, I like wish I wouldn't have done this. Like I, I don't think this is. Uh, I was looking forward to it as kind of like a reentry. Uh, after being in Canada for so long, mm-hmm. uh, during during the uh, not that we're not still in it, but during the height of COVID, mm-hmm. um, and it's more depressing than anything else. But also, I feel like it's probably good for me to see it and experience it at the same time. That's good. Uh, I think you have the right attitude. 
Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of things that we, you know, took for granted as just normal things in our life are uh, are definitely on hold in a big way right now, and you know, it's helping us all kind of look at our own bullshit that we've been copping to for a long time and dealing with it. It's wild, man. I mean, look, a lot of time in the car alone um, can can only lead to self-reflection. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, uh, uh, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, but today, I mean, this was fucking... I, like, I kind of forget, you know what I'm saying? I, when you live in New York and you're just part of that, you really do kind of like... Even being from the South, I haven't lived there long enough to like kind of forget sometimes. So... This afternoon, I, I stopped to get a water um, on, on the way down, and I went into a you know gas station or whatever, and um, no one's wearing a mask except me. <laughs> first mm-hmm. of all, um, which is the first time, which is the first time I've seen that. Like the rest of this trip, everywhere I stopped, it was pretty like masked up, like in, in, a, in a gas station. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so I'm buying my water and. And the, you know, old fucking white guy behind the counter is like, oh, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm actually, I started in New York and I'm going to Atlanta. And, and, and he just looks right at me and he goes, are they still, is it still burning? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He's like, they need to stop that right now. <laughs> like dead ass eye contact with me. And I was just like, I, I didn't even know what to say. Like, I was just so taken aback that someone would be like, confrontational for absolutely no reason um Mm -hmm. and and obviously like i need to expect that from the kind of people i'm going to fucking deal with when you're in these places that's just like par for the course in some ways but i was i was like damn this shit is real as fuck people are mad as hell on both sides and it's 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 really crazy when someone's like, I, you know what? Should I stay here for an hour and get in a fight with this old man and tell him he's a fucking idiot and get a gun pulled on me at a gas station? Like, probably this guy's gonna die. I don't need his his mind is, is not going to change. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? It's not that's not the the problem. And so, in some ways, I think that is why seeing this protest here in Charleston that was so full of young people is encouraging. If you look at it from that standpoint, like these are the people that I actually have to carry on. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like they're not going to die in, in, in three or four years. Like these are the people that are going to be left to um, shape society and, and, you know, run, run governments, businesses, et cetera, et cetera, where, where mm. difference can a- actually be made. Yeah. They're the same people who are upset about young people protesting about everything, including climate change and yeah, know, from yeah. climate change to police brutality and everything in between. They're people who are not into that at all. Just not into it. That's a great way to put it. You know, we're just not into this. This whole like, this whole like change happening. We're just not into this. Which you know, and and I think that uh, obviously any human can recognize that change is scary and difficult. Um, but I mm-hmm. think as you get older and more set in your ways, it really just isn't an option for you. Especially when you live somewhere that that is is um, is probably going to be one of the you know last places to turn around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people in rural areas who are, who are white and, you know, they, they really believe in their heart that their life has been unfair for them and their struggle has been a real struggle and, and they, you know, they feel like they're in, in need of justice just as much as 
people who you know are being murdered for existing yeah that's the i mean that's the 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 thinking it's fair part is truly demented Life i mean that's easy where for I, me too brother yeah exactly i'm just like really bro because like i look let me tell you my life has been very easy any any problems i've had were self-inflicted so <laughs> you know that ain't systemic is, is what i'm trying to say that ain't that ain't the man keeping me down that's that's bad choices you know it's two very different things and i mean Look, if you're working at a gas station in rural South Carolina, you've obviously made some decisions. So, you know, I can't, I can't say that's not true. But, I mean, I was just, again, I was just a little bit, like, taken aback. I forget that, like, people on that side are, are as combative and as vocal, um, you know, as, as people on the right side. Mm-hmm. Um, which, is, which is obviously, you know, part of the reason all this shit is happening to begin with, you know. And they're, they're tired of, um, you know, talking about it with a bunch of peers that agree with them. They want to, you know, talk to you, a, a tatted up liberal cuck who does not own any guns to tell you, you know, and maybe he thinks he can change the world by, by uh, you know, changing your mind somehow. Uh, I mean, it, it, yeah, no, 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 of course. I mean, and that's the, I think that's a duality for me. It's like, yo, this is, this in, in some ways, I'm like, damn, this could have been me. Like this, not not this mm-hmm. particular guy, but those attitudes um, are are. I mean, that's just what you're surrounded by. If you if you, if you like stayed that. in the South, you could have ended up being, uh, you know, a, a more swaggy version of this person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'd be in much better shape, but my attitude would not be. Um, and that is the that's what I think really hits home with stuff like this for someone like me. And I mean, I see. And even seeing what's going on in Orange County, I mean, it's obviously different because it's not recognized as like the hub of racism in the world the way the South is. Um, yeah, but, but it has been it recognized is, as the hub of racism in you know in California. Extremely liberal, extremely liberal California, which is which is not a title one wants. Well, I, I think the, I think the real difference in it is you know there are many many kind of racist country quote unquote places in California. Where you know our our rednecks look the exact same as one found in in Kentucky or or Alabama or wherever, but um, you know it's it's just a lot more attention grabbing and you know it stings a little bit sticks more. Out. It, it sticks, sticks out. out more sticks when out. these are like hot, fashionable, yeah. wealthy people driving Mercedes Benzes and <laughs> TikToking you're wearing, and stuff, while also wearing, trying to start a race war. Race riot. Yeah, when you're wearing Billabong and starting a race riot, it's very confusing to understand. To understand that yeah, it really is. Yeah, I saw like, a video really- of this dude in Carlsbad, which is a city near San Diego, of this guy basically saying, "Like, I'm going to rather you know ga- gather up a bunch of people with guns, and we are going to defend all the stores in our city from from the looters and basically recruiting people." Like if you have a gun and you come you know, defend, and you hate Lobby. black people like I do, you know, come come squad up and let's um, let's murder people who are or protesting in our city. And he's just you know he's a dude that looks like he would be on Riverdale. You know, he's just some like yeah hot twenty yeah. one year old buff dude. It's very confusing. I think I think that's the that's the big takeaway though is that this shit doesn't have a look necessarily or an age or a or a creed you know what i mean it's 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 truly can be anyone um anyway uh wow don't worry we'll talk about this for another full hour uh today 
Um, our guest is Jeff Ahiza, um, a friend of mine from New York. He has a magazine that he does called Secret um, that uh, I had a piece in the last issue. And he also is an editor at Mike.com. Um, he's just a really smart guy. He's, he's um, from Houston. Um, and I, I just think he'll have something to, to offer on the conversation. So I wanted to, I wanted to get him involved this week. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Let's All give right, him let me, a ring. Let me give him a buzz, mate. How long gone is brought to you by our dear friends at BetterHelp, Jason. BetterHelp. You know, summer travel season is coming up. Luckily, my BetterHelp therapist also fancies themselves a bit of a travel agent. So for maybe the first half of our sweet sessions, we were spent off, obviously off clock going through, you know, hotels, ferries, <laughs> car rentals, restaurant recommendations. It's as if I have two wives. I have two wives inside of me. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, it, it is a fun way to find and connect different therapists. You get one that you really like. You guys are gossiping. You guys are chit-chatting. You guys are talking about your personal interests. Next thing you know, it's time to actually do the work. So it feels good building those uh, mental health relationships with people you actually like. And on BetterHelp, there are so many different therapists to choose from i don't like anyone if you're thinking of starting therapy give BetterHelp a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge get it off your chest with BetterHelp. visit betterhelp.com slash how long today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash how long nice how Long Gone is brought to you by Nutrafol. As you know, you know hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh-oh. And internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead, give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step <laughs> to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long? All one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> Dot com promo code how long. That's Nutrafol.com promo code how long. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Say goodbye to swiping left on lackluster meals and swipe right for the one brand that will make your taste buds swoon. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, I like to chop myself, or quick microwave meals that are assembled in minutes, 
Home Chef has you and your entire family covered for delicious meals, witty options per week, and serves a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. I'm keto now. Not only is it convenient, but it is also economical. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Mamma mia. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners, our listeners, 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert faux life at homechef.com slash how long. That's homechef.com slash how long for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash how long must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Yo. Yo, what's Gucci? Hello. Um, what up? How you feeling? you know <laughs> you could say bad it's okay i wasn't expecting a, a jovial answer <laughs> uh yes yeah, it's crazy right now i don't um, know how to feel well that's that's what we wanted to talk to you about i think it's uh you know um two white bros need to hear some insight from someone who's feeling something differently than we are you know oh man <laughs> The white bros. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, we we represent we represent the white bros for better or worse. Uh, the white bro syndicate. Yes, exactly. Are you you stayed in New York this whole time, right? Yeah. So I had like a pretty interesting situation because I have one roommate who kind of just like by luck happened to be going to uh, his girlfriend's beach house right before all this like really started popping off. So then they just stayed out there. So I've been in the crib solo for three plus months at this point. Are you, uh, do you, I mean, obviously that's good, but also are you just losing it from lack of human contact? I think for a while I was, and now I'm kind of like, I'm on some other shit. Like I feel like a guru or something. Mm. <laughs> You've leveled up. I've leveled up. I've leveled up. And, then, and also like, living, you know, living in New York with a roommate. Any time that that person is out of town, even if they are your soulmate and loved one, it becomes a, a real blessing. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, I love the guy to death. But then it's like, ooh, two bedroom to myself. Okay, sure. I mean, that's always a positive. But I mean, have you been? You've been working, right? Yeah, so I'm the culture editor at Mike.com and fortunate to be, you know, gainfully employed during all of this. Mm-hmm. And you know, you... Work... No, so, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just the, the work from home dynamic is, I feel like in editorial, we're all probably pretty accustomed to working from home and other jobs I've had, it was, it was pretty much the norm. Like the only thing is just not seeing your coworkers at all for this long is like, kind of wild but overall it, it doesn't feel like we really skipped a beat in terms of just like work stuff mm-hmm. how, much you guys, are, how much you guys you have e- had a, a very busy busy time i'm sure uh yeah, mike.com covers i guess kind of like politics and culture i guess is what you would say yeah politics culture lifestyle well-being stuff like that mm-hmm. have you had have you had is it been more of a workload or less of a workload I think in some ways more, in some ways less. I think with not being in an office, I think there are a few, call it bureaucratic things, that you kind of don't need to be as cognizant of. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I can wake yeah. up and kind of like pull up to my laptop and get going. But then at the same time, with just the way the news has been for the past few months, it's like 
there's really there's really no there's no down period. There's no slow news week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember slow news weeks, right? Damn. I mean, I I've never wanted celebrity gossip to be more important. This Liam Michelle shit is not hitting for me. It's not good enough. I need more. No. <laughs> You're gonna have I'm to surprised. start collecting vintage celebrity news, Chris. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Sustainable, I mean, reused. One thing that's really funny is I think, especially in the like celebrity space for the past few months, it's really just been like the the main story has been celebrities fucking up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm yeah, more celebrities haven't fucked up. I'm surprised like we haven't heard like why like Lena Dunham. I would assume would be the first person to just <laughs> say the wrong thing right now. Well, I mean, we do have we 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 do have. I mean, there's been a few. I mean, J Lo today tweeted that shit. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's so it's so good. I mean, it, it, like, if, if if Big LD can change, then anything is possible. You know? <laughs> it's it's true. Also, though, Jeff, I think that the reality is a lot of people, and I mean, this is its own separate issue. But you know, they're not saying shit because they don't want to fuck up. Right. Right. And and you know that that's its own issue but I think that is it, it is stopping some people from digging their own grave. Which you got to you got to love it. Yeah, I mean I guess I mean the phrase you love to see it has has grown at the same time as celebrities fucking up has become the most enjoyable content to consume. My favorite, my favorite new meme right now is the like the quote tweet with this you question mark and then just like it's someone saying some like, you know, we stand in solidarity with Black Lives and then someone's got the screenshot of them just being like fully OD on some racist shit like six months ago. <laughs> it doesn't it, it, I mean the internet, you know, doesn't forget, especially when it comes to shit like this. I mean, I, I you know, I want to talk about the. I think it's interesting that the 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 money donation portion. Um, it feels like it's if you're a celebrity, it's just never good enough um, from the internet, and I I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I'm I've been I've been tricky. I've I've felt a lot of certain ways about the donation stuff because I think there's like the immediate instinct, right? Is like you know, say it with your wallet, show your support mm. with your money, etc. Vote with but your dollars. Think, Right. And, and we got to a place really quickly after Minneapolis where, you know, the Minneapolis uh, jail fund within 24 hours was like, yo, we have enough money. The Brooklyn bail fund, same thing. And I think like virality kind of creates this dynamic where people people love to think of things in like pretty, pretty easy buckets where it's like, if I donate to this thing, I've done the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that like eliminates the the work that needs to be done on people's part. It's like, you got to do more than just like donate to the same thing that your boy donated to. It's about like knowing what's going on and where the help is needed and where you can serve. And like a joke that I saw that really resonates to me is like within a week or two of quarantine, we had sourdough starter experts all over the internet and that shit ain't easy. Like I've tried to make bread. Like (laughs) you gotta, you gotta like actually like work on it. I can also, I can vouch it. It's not easy. So, but but you can tell me that all these people just simply have no idea how to help out the black community other than one or two GoFundMe's that have been shared all over the internet. Yeah, well, so, you know, when you when you create an amazing loaf of sourdough bread all by yourself, you get to share it online, and everyone gets to say good job, and you get a, a nice hit of dopamine. 
Um, and people don't know that you can also get an even better hit of dopamine for posting, you know, amazing things that you've done to help other people. Right. But at the same time, like, I don't think that like, I mean, save from Virgil Abloh, who I think with his whole, his whole energy in the first 72 hours of this thing was out of pocket. Mm-hmm. But I think safe from that, I think most most celebrities, I have no beef with, you know, throwing a thousand the weekend through half a million dollars at, at different organizations. Drake threw a hundred grand at organizations. I, I that, mean, I respect That's that. a lot of money. Half a million dollars is a lot of money. I mean, yeah. you, you know yeah. what I mean? That That's what I'm saying. Like, I understand it's all relative, but I don't think it's fair to, I just don't think that's the, where the energy should be directed. Absolutely. You know, the negative, the negative energy should be directed. It's just, it's just like, I think the, I think the Virgil thing was a special case, but like you said, because of how he handled it um, and uh, <clears throat> the situation in general. Um, but I think the weekend, you know, being quiet or this Kanye West thing today, he donated $2 million. That's a lot of fucking money. It's bread. That's real bread. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And in Kanye's case, it's even more powerful because he didn't say anything stupid wh- while giving the money. He just gave the money. Which I think is actually says even more. He finally listened to what Rick Rubin was telling him to do. No, seriously, no. I think it's like I think like he could have said something that would have diminished the the the, the actual good that he's doing, and I'm I'm glad that he was able to restrain himself. I mean, he could have been Kanye. Exactly. Yeah. 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 He could I mean, Kanye. he was probably still running the MAGA hat while he donated it, though. Well, I mean, I, that 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 I guess leads me to this question because you 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 said you know it's not just about donating money; it's also about being educated and, and knowing why you're doing it and and how it is affecting everyone directly. Is there amount? Is there an amount of money that sort of excuses that? Like if if Bezos just is like, I'm I'm donating fifty billion, will everyone be like, fuck it, do whatever you want? That's that's huge. That's big money. That's enough to change the world. I mean, if, if Bezos put fifty billion in the right place, mm-hmm. I think it would be hard for a lot of people to to come at Amazon, which is like a double edged sword because it's like fifty billion ain't shit to that man, right? I mean, it might be a little bit, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on, dog, come on, dog, that's a little bit. Come on, that's a give little it, give it, well, give it's, it's the same way as 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 five hundred is is not really anything for Drake, to like something like the weekend or exactly so or, the, like, or the weekend people who make that in one night or, you know, in 60 right. minutes. So it's a tricky thing, but that's, I mean, that's why the, the money stuff just becomes so tricky. Cause it's like, I, you gave me 50, but you put 50 billion as a crazy number to be thrown around. But let's say that's what happens. If he's still doing this shit with Amazon, if the Amazon workers are still out here working, basically slave, mm-hmm. slave wages and slave hours and dangerous conditions. It's like, what, what did you solve? I mean, it's like a PR crisis that you really solved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I that's think the that's, same as like uh, R. Kelly donating twenty million or something like that. Yeah, it doesn't. It takes the it takes the attention off. Um, Jeff, did you 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 you're not? Are you from Houston? Or did you grow up in Houston? I'm from Houston, so born and raised up to eighteen in Houston. And where's your family from? My family grew up in. So my, both my parents are Nigerian immigrants that came from Nigeria in the late seventies or early eighties. Directly to Houston. Directly to Houston. Or actually, I think my dad or my mom—they made like pit stops around, as like everyone kind of does. Was you figure out America? I think they lived in Alabama for a second. New York. <laughs> they were like, "Nah, all right, we're out of here. Nah, Alabama. Yeah. We're straight on that. We're good on that." Well, my oldest brother was born in Alabama, but then they lived in—they moved to Dallas and then Houston before I was born. 
I see. So to Texas, they they had to find the right spot, but they 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 liked it in general. Yeah, I mean Texas is Texas treats immigrants interestingly. Like it's I can't say it's like a good place to be an immigrant, but at the same time, especially a city like Houston, if you go there and if you know people from there, it's like I can't think. Even living in New York for the past like six years now, it's like I can't think of another place in America that has as rich and deep an immigrant population from every place in the world as Houston. Mm-hmm. I've actually I've heard that before, and I have been there, and I, re- I actually really liked it there. But that that I was um, I, I have heard the immigrant stuff before about how how it's just really really diverse. Um, but I, I guess I, I want I want to talk about your upbringing um, because I think it is important to understand. Like, did you go to like high school and that kind of stuff? Were you was it a white high school? Was it a mixed high school? Was it private? Was it public? So yeah, I grew up like pretty, pretty average. I'd say like I don't want to I don't want to like tell a sob story. Me like I didn't have any money. Definitely didn't grow up with a ton of money. But like you know, I went. I was privileged enough to go to school, like have a car when I was sixteen, that type of thing. Sure. Uh, the high school I went to was super diverse, which is cool because I think my senior year, University of Michigan was doing a study on my school, and there was like a New York Times story that came out about my school district and how it was one of the most diverse in the country. And it's actually been an interesting dynamic that I've had to like check myself on living in New York because it's like my assumptions around race and around identity have been privileged in in that way of just like, I'm, I'm not used to thinking of things in that easy dichotomy of like, Oh, well it's an all white place or an all black place. Cause it was just never like that for anywhere that I grew up. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was lucky enough to go to a high school where it was like not even down the middle, but like you never felt like out of place. Like there was enough black students or enough Latino students, enough Asian students, enough Asian students of different, you know, mm-hmm. Asian identities. Right. It's like we had a lot of Pakistani students, a lot of Indian students, a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of Chinese. And like the differences inside of those dynamics on top of the fact that it's just not all white people. Mm-hmm. Even when I think of high school, I can't even like, like i don't even think the popular kids were white like it wasn't it really just wasn't like that i mean that is that is interesting i mean that definitely was not my experience for sure it was very much you know um white white uh led for for lack of a better term and that's not to say all of houston's like that there were like the super white schools in houston and the private schools and this and that but you know in, in a lot of the areas it was it was decently diverse and then you know there was obviously the the you know, the more central areas where the populations were still predominantly black. I think, you know, George Floyd had went to Yates High School for a second. And I remember there was a summer that I spent doing a summer camp in Third Ward. And Yates High School is, you know, a predominantly black school. So it's not to say that all of Houston just got these beautiful, you know, Obama high schools or whatever. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. This but is your experience. There's, there's great, yeah, there's a good deal of that. Uh, I, I think that that is, that does, I feel like that can make things, I mean, does that make this whole issue complicated for you, or are you able to see things uh, in a very in very clear terms? I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, I've I've done that education for myself of just like checking my assumptions around race, especially over the past few years, just of the different dynamics that I've encountered just in life. Of like, oh, you know, the media industry isn't terribly diverse. Like, the professional world in New York, the creative world is in, in New York isn't terribly diverse, and like there are reasons for that that are bigger than anything that I, that I've been cognizant of growing up. But I think around, around issues like this, it's like, just because 
you know, Houston and where I grew up was pretty diverse doesn't that doesn't necessarily change the the severe discrepancies between policing. You know, I like I think of the kids I knew in high school who their lives were wrecked over, you know, half a gram of weed in their backpack. And I'm like, who were the cops on campus searching? You know what I mean? Like it's still yeah. it still comes down to those levels on an individual basis. But I think the exposure does do something to your mindset around it and at least the way that you might view solidarity. Cause I think for better or worse, it's easier for me to like think to see like white allies, quote unquote, and not be as suspicious. Yeah. And I say for better or worse, because I think there are a lot of reasons to be suspicious in a lot of cases, but at least for me, it's like, just give, just provided the way I grew up, it's 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 not as big a hurdle for me to see a white person try to do good and think, okay, they're trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that definitely is a double edged sword for sure. But I mean, I think that are are you experiencing a lot of like white friends reaching out to you to talk and shit, or have people gotten the message that that's not really acceptable? I wish people had gotten. Don't the don't the, the, don't count me. Ask you to be on this podcast. Is that? Just just for the record, <laughs> yeah, okay? That just... me up. No, no, no. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> no, and I think I mean I think, and I've been seeing a lot of people talk about this, and you know, my my perspective is like it's a it's individual, it's case by case. You know, there there are white people that I'm close enough with where it's like I called you in the middle of the night, upset about X, Y, or Z. So like it makes sense. We have that type of friendship for you to be like, yo, what's good? How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there are the people who you haven't talked to in mad long. And it's like, yo, what? Like, how are you just, how do you even still have my number type of thing? You know? Mm-hmm. And then the equivalent of somebody like, hitting you up for guest list. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, I mean, I've, I think, I mean, there was a recent one where it's like, there are people who, you can tell their consciousness is guilty about whatever they might've done to you in the past. And it's like, that, that's the truth. That's a weird situation to deal with. Cause it's like, I'm not really here to clear your conscience. Like, I'm glad mm-hmm. you feel, you feel a type of way seeing everything in the news. But like, if you did me wrong in one way or the other, like you knew back then that race was an issue. Like, I, I just don't buy it. But like, Oh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, because it's all over Instagram, like now it's time to check in on Jeff. I'm not like, going to hit you with the magic wand of forgiveness because yeah, you gave yeah. me, a, you gave me a nice little text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. I mean, I think, I mean, there, there's a lot of that that's happening in, in many different ways. And I think, I mean, it's yeah. It really kind of comes down to the energy of just you know, are you treating somebody like a normal person? And you can kind of tell if they are, or if they're doing it because they have something that they're trying to get out of it—forgiveness or you know, clearing a guilty right. conscience. And I mean, and people will no. hopefully learn how to do that the right way. I mean, it's crazy just looking at social media right now because. And I've, I've talked to a few people about this where it's like, I think the, the overarching idea is that the only thing I can do right now is like signal boost other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super fair and that's good. But then it's like, you do have to ask the question of like, again, like what I was saying before of like, at what point are you educating yourself about what needs to be signal boosted? You know, it's, it's bigger than just every mm. black person you see. Let me have the like 50 story Instagram and just post every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And then I feel good about myself because I've boosted all these people. It's like, there are ways to be effective. And, you know, I, I don't think 
I think highly, and I think everyone is you know intelligent enough to understand the ways in which they can be effective and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on them. It's on them to take that step of like really trying to understand like what what am I doing and who am I posting for? You know, it's like the Instagram like black tile thing. You know, it's like that just emerged overnight, and then it's suddenly all these white people being like, "Yeah, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter." And it's like, dude, like, are you even thinking about what you're saying and what you're doing? Or are you posting this because it's the new trend right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think um, you know the same way everyone has done the research and homework to develop their own aesthetic on Instagram, you know, they, they need to put in that same amount of work for their activism as well. And just blindly posting everything makes you look like a cornball aesthetically and activ- activismly as well. I mean, I think that understanding complex race issues is a lot to ask of a lot of dumbasses. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that ex- taking the time versus doing something kind of performative is, is just the nature of the beast when it comes to something difficult, you know? Um, and I mean, that's obviously no excuse, but I, I do think that's part of the reason this stuff on Instagram and, and social media in general is just so rampant is because it's like, you know, you, you want to look like you're doing what you can, whether you are actually doing the homework or not. Right. And then it's like, who do you want? Who do you, who's that presentation for? I think that's the question that a lot of people need to start asking themselves. It's like, is this presentation so you just don't look like a bad person to like your Mm. white peers or is this presentation to like show solidarity and support to the black people in your life? Mm -hmm. And are there black people in your life? You know, like I think I was about to say, I was about to say you skipped us. You you skipped a step there. That's a big (laughs) step. And that's the one that that's the thing that, that I've been thinking about the most here. And like, again, just thinking about my own upbringing and like my own background, like fuck it. Like I'm a skateboarder. I came up in like a punk underground world so it's like i can't sit here in front like i'm like mr black power all of a sudden but like so so even for me sometimes i feel like and like kind of in an awkward spot where i'm like damn i'm definitely your only black friend to some of these people on instagram Mm -hmm. and it's like i'm not i i'll be the first to tell you i'm not representative of the black community in any way and it's like i want to see more people show solidarity with like the black people that don't act like me that don't dress like me they don't talk like me like Mm -hmm. that's what it's really about like it's kind of like, you know, that whole, the, the birding situation in Central Park where like everyone was so quick to be like, oh, look at how great this man is and he's hot and this and that. But it's like, what about George Floyd? What about, you know, Breonna Taylor, who these people don't fit the mold of your, your, well, yeah, they're not black friend right. or whatever. It's like, they're not a buff lawyer that like works on AIDS, like, you know, for right. free. Hmm. That does make a difference, though. That does make a difference. I think that, that that story, compared to what we're dealing with now, is just is it's I I wouldn't say I forgot, but it seems like six months ago. Yeah, and it's crazy that it was literally the same week, or like yeah, within like a week of each other, these things happen. Have you um have you talked to your parents? Yeah, I mean that's that that has been like probably to me just the most heartbreaking part of it is like a just the distance where it's like I haven't you know my brother just had a kid haven't been able to go home and like since Christmas and even talking to my parents, it's like, I I've never, I've never experienced this level of frustration from them with these issues. I think something, I mean, definitely quarantine has something to do with it where it's like, 
they're just fed up. And, you know, I, my parents are the most Christian people in the world, like, you know, very, very church going, God loving, et cetera. And it's like to hear them express their frustration with like, how are they still doing this shit? How is this still happening? That's mm-hmm. where, that's where I'm just like, I don't even know. Like, well, I think when you're, I mean, if they're religious, um, you know, forgiveness is such a big part of that faith, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's very hard to kind of understand how to navigate, like, you know, anger or despair or, or even just like hatred for lack of a better term, you know? Um, and you know, still, uh, you know, be, feel like a, feel like a Christian or feel like they're doing the right thing based on what they believe in. Right. And it's like, you don't want to hate white people, you know, but sometimes it's like, what, what's going, what is this? You know? And that's, that's a conversation I've had with my folks recently. of just like, you know, you want to love everyone. You want to show everyone love and you want, and you want to be respectful. And, and, you know, I, my, my folks got mad at me years ago. Cause I tweeted some shit. Like I literally probably tweeted, fuck white people. And my dad, like, <laughs> called, <laughs> called I literally <laughs> tweeted, fuck white people. And then my dad you know, called me. It was crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. My folks called me. They're like, yo, you can't, you can't, why would you say that? Like you, we don't believe, we don't, we didn't raise you to be like that. And it's like, almost almost reversed now not like my parents are hitting me with like fuck white people but just like this is this is a problem with white people this is the problem that they've been having for a long time you know my dad will tell stories of you know going to college in texas and having professors ask him if he you know was friends with monkeys and shit like it, it's it's such an unending crisis that like you everyone i think has reached a sort of frustration point mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean i think that that is the thing that that you know, is the hardest to relate to or, or even process fully is that this could, you know, your dad's probably, you know, in his sixties and this has been happening his entire life in some level. At, and at some down to when level. they were in Nigeria, you know what I mean? Where it's like the British occupied that spot and it's like the, the level of just, yeah. And it, it just, the way, the way these things pan out every time in the, in the, in the power dynamics of who gets to narrate and who gets to dictate what the narrative looks like and the frustration of sitting there and knowing what the truth is and watching it get distorted in real time. It's tough. It's, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing for, for anyone to navigate. And I mean, I'm heartened. I feel good about the level of energy that is out there right now. I think people for what, for better or worse, whether it's a guilty conscience, whether it's whatever, I mean, they're thinking about it. They're talking about it. Mm-hmm. People are now posting things like, talk to your parents about this. Make sure you're, you're bringing this conversation to you, to the white people in your life who are Trump voters or whatever. And that's good. I mean, that's, that's as much as you can hope for. It gets tricky when you start to think about how long this has been going on. You know, it's like, I, 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 I struggle to fight against the cynicism of like, you know, are a bunch of cops going to go to jail and this or that'll happen. And then we're back to square one, basically. Well, that's the, I mean, White I think people that's would what, rather not talk about that at this moment. Yeah. If you could, if you could, <laughs> yeah, if you could just give us a little break, please. Uh, no, I think that, I mean, I think that's the, that's also something I've been thinking about today when I was in the car for six hours alone, listening to podcasts about this exact topic. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, what, what's the, what's the end game? You know what I mean? what, Obviously, attitudes are changing and and will continue to change. I think among people that that were on the wrong side, but that is a very small part of the the, the bigger issue about the police brutality and the arrests and the and just the overall you know uh, 
government's approach to to everything. Um, and so, you know, these cops going to jail um, is that that's not enough. So, is that just the is that the kickoff point? That is that a new start? Does that or does that feel like something that's not even really that important in the scheme of things? I mean, I think for me, like having just you know, I've been in New York six years, and just in that time, the number of times this has happened, right? It's like we had Ferguson, we had Eric Garner, yeah, and even in those situations, right, it was always a very similar thing where okay they're going to prosecute or maybe they won't prosecute or, you know, this cop got fired or they're not on the force anymore. They didn't get fired. And I think the conversation now has shifted finally to towards police abolition, even though there's these like egghead reporters from Vox talking about that's a bad idea all of a sudden as though there isn't three decades of research on it. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's useful. It's useful that, you know, a lot more of these kind of quote unquote radical ideas are entering into the mainstream because I think we need to rethink what, what it means to have, you know, safety in our communities, what that looks like, how many things can be handled by mental health professionals versus calling the cops, what it means to call the cops. I mean, the whole Amy Cooper situation of like this, this ingrained idea in American society that like the police are there to protect you as white people, you know, to be walking around with this sense that like, oh, I have a paramilitary organization behind me if anyone ever makes me feel threatened. I think that's that's what we really need to dismantle. And mm-hmm. police police scare me in a bigger way because this whole defund the police situation is not does not go far enough. You defund the cops and they're just going to sit on their ass and not do anything and then blame the politicians for it. Mm-hmm. Even even in these protests already, we're seeing like, you know, when when all the looting was happening in New York, there were a bunch of quotes from NYPD officers going around like, yeah, we what are we going to do? You know blame it on your politicians. You know, they really want to create the situation where they're the saviors. And that's how these unions work. I mean, big supporter of unions generally, but police unions specifically, they have a very, they have a stranglehold over or the social contract. You know, they, they really do kind of see themselves as like, well, if you don't give us everything we want, then we're just going to let chaos reign. It's mm-hmm. like in the 70s where they're handing out pamphlets in New York, New Fear City, like really ginning up this idea that without them, everyone's in danger. And of course that danger that they speak of, the danger that they talk about is, is ingrained racism. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's triggering that fear that I think a lot of white people have, if not most white people of black people, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's the fucking, if we don't get what we want, we are going to let the black people loose on, on the streets. And then good luck with that. And that, and that's what, and that's the, that's that's a real position of power. That's a real, that's a real checkmate for, you know, white old people who run mm-hmm. this country. I mean, what do you think? Um, what do you, what do you, what would you like to see, or what do you think the future of of police reform, you know, realistically speaking, looks like? I think I think it's perfectly reasonable to imagine a world without police. Okay. To really to start from a place of like, police are bad. They don't, they don't do their job. They don't do whatever the job we've assigned them to be is because that job is fundamentally racist to begin with. We, we tried but the experiment we, of police and it, and it failed. Yeah, we, we, ran this, we ran this one for a couple hundred years. Turns out it's not working. <laughs> Look, we let this thing rock for a while. And, for you know, a while. Data's just showing. Things. Yeah, exactly. It, it was yeah, really it was cool, but the side effects did start to add up. And I think like 
I, well, one of the one of the things that I'm, I, I also enjoy seeing out of this is an increased support for community funds. So the, less about you know the bail funds for protesters, which are super important, but thinking into these communities of you know what can we do to raise money inside of the communities that are being over policed to help those communities not you know quote unquote need police, mm-hmm. and that's and that's a dynamic that I'd like to see emerge. I mean, whether I think our current politicians are going to get on board with that. That's a separate question entirely, and that's where I'm a big fan of not violence, but I'm a big fan of destruction in a certain way. Like I think looting is a political act. I, I don't I don't believe that you know we should separate causing chaos in the streets, quote unquote, with forcing the issue mm-hmm. because I, I, this idea that the only good way to protest is to be you know is to manipulate the vision of Martin Luther King, despite you know the many readings that people haven't done of his. Mm-hmm. This idea that, you know, oh, well, if you guys were just sitting down whispering, then nothing would be happening to you is just false. It's like the police mm-hmm. are out there. They want to fight. Like, they love this shit. I mean, the scene yeah, the Luther cops... King was also murdered. Yeah, I mean, cool. seeing, the, seeing the cops with, like, full-on hard-ons, like, joking around with each other and shit is really insane. Like, I don't know why that, that shocks me so much. I, I understand that's, like, to be expected. But every time I see that in a video or, or in the background of a video, it's just like, you're right. They love this shit. Like, and that, that is so problematic. They, they, yeah, they, they have, they've been the same this, the whole time, but they're just mask off now. It's crazy. It's well, crazy. I mean, it's in a way. I feel like the mask never, really, I mean, if you, once you have like, I mean, I, I've had so many run-ins with police skateboarding or whatever, where it's like, you can see it in their face, how mm. much they want a reason. And I mean, that's like, that's mm-hmm. something they say, give me a reason. Yeah. You know, where it's like their hands are already reaching and it's like, dude, I'm a fucking kid trying to kickflip this stair set, dude. Like, I'm not even trying to hurt anybody. And you're already out here, like, reaching for the baton. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So my, so my thing, my thing is like, I think we can imagine a world without police. I think the more that we get a widespread movement of people truly using their imagination to think about the ways the world can be different, mm-hmm. that's what's going to be useful. I think. What uh, I, what kind of fight do you think is going to need to happen for a situation like that to happen? Because I don't really I don't really see Whitey being on board with that for you know anytime soon. I think I think the sustained the sustained movement is is a big part of that. I think not letting not letting the pressure off. You know, right mm-hmm. now I think all politicians everywhere are trying to figure out a quote unquote solution. You know, Barack Obama gives his little address and is like. You know, for what for as much as good as he might have done in in talking and everything that he said, I think there is a there's a larger purpose to him coming out and speaking. There's a larger purpose to the few Democratic leaders that have come out and spoke. Mm-hmm. There's a purpose to them speaking, and that's to quiet everyone down. Right. The Illuminati and, told him to go hit good on Zoom because I mean, it's, listen, it's going well. I don't want to turn this into an Illuminati podcast, but too I late. <laughs> How do you know this isn't an Illuminati podcast already? Is the question? <laughs> yeah, Obama had to. They had to call in a big favor for Obama to, they, come, you to know, go on he, Zoom. Zoom probably hit him up personally. <laughs> yeah, like, like we're gonna like, give you the resolution is gonna be is gonna be wild. Yo, you first want the of all. HBO five series special? We got you. <laughs> but I mean, I th- a lot of people, you know, a lot of people wanted and and needed, or you know, at least publicly said, you know, I, I we need an Obama speech right now to kind of just put our minds at ease so we could go to sleep tonight, type of thing. 
Um, right. And but then, I don't really think we, you know, people got what they were hoping to get out of it, which... I mean, that's the definition of no justice, no peace, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. this this is, this isn't a momentary thing. I think the cor- the quarantine really is what, in my mind, elevated all of this in everyone's kind of worldview perspective or whatever. I was actually talking to a friend who said, like, I think this is the quarantine was the first time that white people have ever felt, you know, state suppression. It's mm-hmm. the first time that white people had to feel as aware of their their selves and physical space, even remotely close to what black people feel. You know, like I go outside, I go to a store, or whatever. I'm aware in a way that I don't think most white people are, and mm-hmm. that I think is where a lot of the sort of guilt response comes from. Where it's like, oh, finally they can sort of see what's going on here and what this sort of long-standing dynamic between black people and the police, black people and the state feels like yeah i guess the energy now that i experience every time i go to whole foods is like i'm going into battle and tensions are very high and you have to you know watch your surroundings watch your back watch people around you well your behavior is sweet right yeah and that's and that's probably on or you distance everything yeah i I was i was literally at whole foods yesterday and uh, this guy was not wearing a mask and he was refusing to saying he it was his right to not put it on unless an employee tells him to and you know screaming match just full full you know insanity going on and you know going to the supermarket is now the most stressful thing in the lives of white people today and they used to love it god damn it it used to be my literal favorite pastime and now i feel like i'm going into battle risking it all to to cop the arugula Right. And that and that is a feeling that black people feel every time they go to the supermarket. Anyway, I mean there was a good thread going on Twitter the other day of just like, you know, how many times have you left a store feeling like you stole something even though you didn't just because of the energy from everyone in the store around you. And that's yeah. the type of thing that like and for me it's you know, only when I, my girlfriend makes me go into the really expensive places and she doesn't buy anything. <laughs> Yeah, hitting the street market for no reason. There's <laughs> no, re- just no reason, just no reason. There's just layers and layers and levels and levels of this, huh? Yeah, this is a fucking onion, and I'm not. I'm. 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 I don't think we've cracked it. Cracked the what, surface. What is it? What is it? Or how does it feel to just watch all of white America have a giant collective whoa, whoa moment of realization of what has been going on? You know, it, you would think it would feel more, you'd feel more like righteous, righteousness about it or something. Like just justification, like, yeah. oh, I wasn't crazy this whole time. See, guys? But it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like, like that. It feels more sad than anything, you know, because it's like. Yeah, like, welcome to hell. Here we of, are. <laughs> there's a sort of hopelessness, too, in, in everyone's response to this that in a lot of ways mirrors the hopelessness that I think, at least for me as a black person, feel where it's like, yeah, dude, like, I have. I don't know what to tell you. I don't, you know, there's all these PDFs going around, Google Docs going around, reading lists going around. And it's like, I don't think sending your dad a fucking France Fanon book is going to change anything, you know, because mm-hmm. if he doesn't know by now, will he ever? Like, if these people who have spent their their lives, like, pillaging black culture don't realize by now that that's not, that's not great, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like this moment necessarily changes anything, but... Yeah, I mean, I books. Remain, I nobody remain, reads books now, anyways. So, I mean, do we just take it to take it to Netflix and podcasts and, gosh, and I mean, and everyone's spread sharing the message like, there? 
everyone's saying like go watch 13th the documentary and it's a good it's a fantastic documentary but it's another one of those it's things. a big ask I mean, for white people right now yeah you know two hours whoa mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know even the new hey bro the, hey bro lord of the rings is two hours relax <laughs> they love that shit uh, but you know, think of the controversy around the New York Times 1619 project, and it's like yeah. even after they won a Pulitzer for it, you know, you've got you've got nationally syndicated magazine writers just up in arms. Oh, this is this is you know we're teaching kids a historical fact, etc. And it's like you know, there's there's a real cognitive resistance to understanding issues of race that goes deeper than police brutality. It goes deeper than any of the issues that we talk about in general, and it, it's 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 a, it's a spiritual issue, right? It's like so much of, you know, Chris, you, you grew up in the South. You, you definitely understand this to some degree. It's like when I think about Southern culture, no matter how diverse my background is from Houston, it's like Southern culture is rooted in sense of like the white man is, is better. Oh, I mean, I just literally just talked about this before we called you because I'm in, I've been driving from New York to Atlanta and I'm in Charleston right now, which is obviously has a, uh, interesting to say the least background. Right. Um, and yeah, the vibe is fucking weird. Like a guy said some wild shit to me today at the fucking gas station. You know what I mean? Because he thinks because I'm a white dude with a shaved head and tattoos that I'm down for his cause, you know, or, or that I agree with him in theory. Like it feels safe for him to talk to me like that. Um, right. And that is, yeah, it's just southern shit, man. It, it really is. It's definitely like, you know, white man shit. Like, we built this, it's ours, even though we didn't, and it's not. Right. And I think, I mean, even when you look at the police response, and, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot, is like, I think the, the severity of the police response is because, as I, as I was talking about earlier, it's like, they, they're defending their legitimacy. And they're defending it with, with all of their might. You know, it's like they know that the moment that people really start to talk about shifting the dynamic in policing in America, that people will start to understand like, oh, you guys are obsolete. We have never needed you. Mm-hmm. Well, I and, think, and- yeah, I mean, no, 100 percent, 100 percent. I, you know, I think that and something that I've I heard today and have thought about is that, you know, for a lot of people equality is a very hard thing to wrap their head around because they think something will be taken away from them if it's given to someone else. In a lot of ways it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yes, but for the greater good. Right. Right. But I mean, <laughs> you know. it's like, and that's, that's what's so, that's what becomes so weird about even just watching all this unfold in, on Instagram and everything. It's like, you know, you look at the masthead of every major magazine, you look at, you know, the, the people in positions of power and it's like, if we had a truly equitable society where it was just like, oh, whoever is the best, whoever has the best ideas, the smartest, just is going to be the leader of, you know, whatever, I'm not going to name names, but whatever magazine, whatever company, the, those boardrooms would look dramatically different. Mm-hmm. So so just like the police are sort of defending this, this position of legitimacy, like as much as people want to kind of come out in favor of, oh, we support the black community, you know, so many brands have now come forward and be like, oh, we would be no- nothing without the influence of the black community, et cetera. But it's like your boardrooms are still all white people. Your design teams are still all white people. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's where that's where to me it's like this this issue becomes a lot bigger where, you know, what does equality look like and how 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 do we get there without people really being willing to say, like, I'm going to take a step back. 
to admit that, you know, a lot of their influence isn't theirs. White, white people are going to have to realize that, you know, they're, or be willing to make their life more difficult, um, you know, in order to improve that. Because as soon as the boardrooms are equally filled with all races, their, their life becomes harder. They have to watch what they say. They have to control and think about what they're saying That's before true. they open their mouths where they didn't really have to do that before. Well, I mean, I don't even think it's so much about watching what you say. Like, look, I've had a lot of white people say off the wall shit to me and it doesn't, you know, you just, you just tell them they're wrong. I think it's more mm-hmm. like it's the dynamics that exist in all of these industries. You know, it's like mm-hmm. what happens to the buddy system of, oh, I'm going to hire all my friends when now the boardroom is suddenly not all white people right. from Harvard or Yale or whatever. Now suddenly it's like, oh, well, I'm going to hire my friends. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with hiring your friends, but if all of your friends are white, then... Well, the only people hiring their friends are white people, then right. yeah, yeah, creates yeah. a problem. So all we need to do is just have some black friends, and that's a great starting point. Yeah, everyone just get one. At, at the very least. Thank you, Jeff, for being my friend. <laughs> <laughs> at, the very, at the very least, yeah, just one. Um, I mean... <laughs> Jeff, we we talk a lot on this on this show about how you know the way the world of of content and branding and all that stuff is is changing and affected. How how is everything being uh, being changed and affected right now at at your job? Of just, I guess that's just a media outlet. Well, yeah, my job's interesting. I mean, so Bustle bought Mike, I think about a year and a half or so ago, and so I came in very much on like the company and the brand is in a very much rebuilding stage or kind of redefining itself stage. Mm-hmm. The bustle agent. Bustle, yeah. bustle digital group. BDG baby. Um, <laughs> and I, I think for us, it's, it's been, it's been an interesting time because there, there it's, it's, I don't want to say it's unique. It's like a good thing, but the slate has truly been clean for everyone. You know, I think, We've seen a dramatic number of layoffs in the media industry. We've seen a dramatic number of companies closing in the media industry. We've also just seen a different dynamic emerge of what people care about and what people are thinking about. You know, there's this whole existential crisis going on in the luxury market and what that means for the Vogue's and GQ's of the world. So I think it's an interesting time to be, you know, rebuilding a media brand because everyone's kind of on the same page for once where, you know, what does the future look like and what does that mean for everyone? Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's been, it's been quite nice because, you know, you, we can, we can position ourselves uniquely just because it's our first time positioning ourselves at all, you know? Mm-hmm. It's um, exciting I, I, to have a clean slate. Yeah. I think for everyone, for everyone, it's exciting to have a clean slate, especially if you're kind of a newer brand. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, what are you writing about right now? Do you feel compelled to write about things that are going on or, or what, what do you, where's your head at? I mean, with the news, it's like, you can't avoid it. I do feel, you know, shouts out to my team. Like I, I've read horror stories from people on the internet of being, feeling forced to kind of like yeah. sell their trauma for clicks. Mm. And I, I, I've never felt that way. You know, my team has been great. No one is really pushing me in one direction or the other. Again, you know, I said it earlier on here, I don't feel you know, I'm not as educated as I could or should be on a lot of things. So I don't feel like I want to open my mouth to be like, well, here's my experience as a black guy. Mm-hmm. At the same time, like my head is definitely thinking a lot about this sort of white guilt thing. I think there are a lot of really strange dynamics emerging that I want to explore. I mean, something that has been happening to me is, you know, I'm single and like 
dating. Uh, and it's a very weird thing for like to match with a non-black person on a dating app. And the first thing they want to talk about is the protests. Shit. And Fuck, dude. I didn't, that didn't even cross my mind. That is it's, fucking, it's, it's, fucked it's, up. It's weird. It's odd. It's well. Do you do you think that's what do you that's do you think that's like the 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 first talking point out of any match, depending on what race is going on, or what what race is being matched with what race? I think it. I think it. I think it hits different when it's from a black girl because definitely. Yeah, what we're talking about isn't. It's just not as like loaded. I mean, what is it even like being on a dating app right now as the world is burning? Period. I mean, it's stupid, and I don't even like doing it. <laughs> but you know, everyone everyone has their has their stress relief in one so way or another. Saying, so you're saying you match with a white chick on fucking Raya, and before you Yo, can ask you, for the nudes, Raya, bro, you bef- fucking invite, before man. you before you can it's ask, like, the if I was on Raya, I wouldn't be talking to you, fucking class. You have to have a <laughs> you have to have a converse, you have to have a conversation about systemic racism before you can before you can get a, a, a flick. Just I mean, like I'll oh, be, it's well. I mean, you know, maybe they feel like it's 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 bad to not bring it up, right? I don't I mean, know why I keep honestly, defending not, Becky I'm here. Not, I'm sorry. That I'm is white really guilt, engaging. though. I'm not really engaging mm-hmm. at all. Honestly, I'm only on the apps to just see what's good and like, you know, the conf- <laughs> the confidence boost of being like, oh, what's up? You like me tight. Mm-hmm. But so, it's just something I've noticed because, like, you know, something I think when the pandemic started, this was a conversation we had at work where I was just like. I'm a, I'm a cynic. I hate dating. I hate love. I'm mad. <laughs> Damn. Jeff, you're still mad, bro? Whatever, whatever. So, like, already, already, I'm just like, I was like, I don't want, I'm like, why is everybody writing about dating in the pandemic? Fuck that. That's stupid. That's stupid. So I was already kind of, like, in that headspace. So for me, like, I intentionally kind of brought myself into this, like, space of, like, all right, let me, like, get on the fucking apps. Let me see what people are talking about. What's going on. You, you threw yourself into the deep end. Threw, threw myself in the deep end. And that, and this is recent, you know, this is in the past like two weeks. So that to me is just the first thing that I noticed. It's like these dating apps are already hella white where it's like for every like three black girls you find, it's like 50 white chicks who like talk about how their dream trip is to Africa. <laughs> God damn it. So it's like already <laughs> wild already just like, Oh D like I hate this. <laughs> so so for now you're more you're more just using it as a way to just have any type of human human contact or confidence boost in general yeah it's really just the confidence because not being able to go out you know going to the bar just like having mm-hmm. someone like catch your eye at the bar or something that's your confidence boost you're like oh that chick was feeling me whatever mm-hmm. so to not have that for a couple of months i'm like all right let me like get back in my bag a little bit make sure i'm still like that's what i that's here. why i used to go to whole foods man <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- th- honestly, though, you got to write about it. That's I, that to me is really interesting that you can't even like pursue someone romantically or even just like a jump off situation without having to have like an extremely serious conversation because the conversation is inherently serious. Like it's yeah. not you can't really just like casually mention it the way you can COVID. You, you know what I mean? Right. But at the same time, like you know, that's a hornet's nest because it's like. I don't have to be talking to white girls on apps anyway. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. But, I mean... I'm not trying to be the guy out here like, why I stopped dating white girls. <laughs> Damn, I was going to commission that, but okay, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess I'll move in a different direction for you, Jeff. Uh, 
but that that is really a, a extremely modern and timely issue though that that I feel like is is probably more relatable than you realize no for sure and there's I mean there's a way to tackle it and like that's just the first thing that I've thought about is like oh that's like an interesting dynamic I mean before all this I was just interested in like what people are doing in quarantine like I wrote about rollerblading because I've just been seeing hella rollerbladers out mm-hmm. and I come from a skateboarding background and like we hate rollerbladers. We hate rollerbladers. Even though I feel like skateboarders out of any like subgroup or subculture have been like, they're not perfect. There's still a lot of shit to sort out within that community. But I really have to say like out of anything I've seen from like any sport, any music, whatever, like skateboarders have really been good at not holding on to sort of like old ideas. Even when mm-hmm. it comes to, it was only two years ago that like, you know, girl professional skaters was like a problem. And then people would be like, oh, well, like they're not as good or whatever. And then within a year, it's like, you don't even hear that anymore. You know, that's not even a conversation. There's an HBO show about girl skateboarders. You know, it's like mm-hmm. things I think move faster in that world. Yeah, it's so, kind of the only mainstream sport that is just like a direct reflection of, of you know, current teen or young you know, just youth, youth attitude and spirit and, and progressiveness. Right. But then on the flip, I've been seeing all these rollerbladers around and it was really interesting to me because I think it was like last summer I was just like walking around Red Hook and I, like someone had threw out a bunch of books and I found this book, it was called like The Complete Blader. And <laughs> it's, real, it's super silly. Like nine, I think it came out in like 91 or something. Prime uh, blade time though. That's yeah, like bull, peak, blade era. Peak rollerblading era. The, the complete blader, crazy. Yeah, the complete blader. What was the guy's name? Uh, I'll look up his name in a second. But you know, the the reason I picked it, it was up actually was Virgil. Through. Virgil wrote it. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> you got to talk about Virgil in a second. Okay, but, we'll talk about Virgil in a second. But so did 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 the quarantine turn you into a rollerblade sympathizer? I would call myself a sympathizer. Damn, like, damn, that's crazy. Don't let don't you want to talk about real growth. Community. Yeah, not like I mean, it's just interesting to me to see because, you know, I think for the past like three or four years, we've seen a lot of like, quote unquote, alternative modes of transportation take off. You got like the boosted boards and the weird scooters and the one wheel thing. Mm-hmm. Boosted really, boards more more offensive than blades. The boosted board is the most offensive product ever created. Uh, but it's funny <laughs> to me, like that rollerblading is kind of having this like weird moment. And it makes sense in a lot of ways, because I think aesthetically it. it harkens back to the 90s and to the late 80s mm-hmm. and obviously you know everything moves in that cycle of like of course kids now are like trying to do the sort of like cyberpunk look and rollerblading is like mm-hmm. a perfect part of that and i'm not gonna front like it like do your thing it doesn't look it looks kind of sick like i'm never gonna do it you can't flip it so i don't get it but like if you're out there crushing on the rollerblade it looks kind of tight like i'm not even gonna i'm not gonna lean on you damn you change bro <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I would say, you know, I, I, you know, back, back, back in the '90s, we did really have it so good that the only thing we had to complain about was was rollerbladers. And now, yeah. you know, the problems in our world are so much larger that it's insensitive to even mention a, a rollerblader. So, fa- so now, far, that you are now a rollerblade stan. Now, <laughs> now, now, I'm just gonna. When I think of the word ally, I'm gonna think of Jeff and rollerblading. So you, yeah, thanks, I'm, thanks, I'm thanks. a rollerblade ally. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jeff. Thank you for giving us some. some yeah, we won't forget. Fun. We won't forget what you said, dog. You fucked yeah, up we, this we, time. <laughs> we would never forget. So you said you wanted to talk about Virgil. Oh, 
Ugh, okay. Um, uh, so okay. Virgil, you know, a lot of people were very initially upset about seeing a screenshot of him only donating $50 when he obviously has Yo, it's like a lot of money. It's, like no, it's about him capping well, that's, for streetwear. That's, I, I'm, I'm just retelling the tale of how, how it started, and then that sort of opened up opened up the wound and ripped the band-aid of everything else that was you know people wanted to speak on. Virgil's whole thing, the moment this started happening, did y'all see the screenshot of him? He posted that he called Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> big, big yeah. Tim's going to get to the bottom of it. How is, how is that your, how is that your instinct? Black people are getting killed by the police. Yo, we need to call Timothy Chalamet right now. I, I will agree that that is, <laughs> um, an interesting choice. Uh, I don't really understand it myself. Um, but I, the stuff with round two is more confusing to me. Do you think Timothy was like, yo, dog, 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 delete that, delete that. I can't have that on my, I, don't know I can't have that on my IG right now. I mean, the stuff with round two to me is definitely like a big part of it because it's like, I don't really know that man like that. I know that he was like loving the national guard pulling up to LA, which is a pretty fried. Yeah, that's no, we don't, we don't fuck with the, I mean, on this side, we don't fuck with cops. I don't fuck with the military. I don't fuck with the national guard. I'll fuck with any of that shit. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's just, it, people show it's so, it's just so interesting though, that you would just like, we all would assume he wouldn't be down with that because what he likes sneakers and resells clothing. Like it doesn't make you know what I mean. Well, like he we, would we, yeah he would have never been down with that or posted that if that wasn't going to directly affect the the health of his business his, of, well, yeah, his the, brick and mortar business. Supreme on Bowery, the big store, got cleaned out the other night. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I, I keep hearing different things about that, but it's true; it did get cleaned out. The vi- there's the there's a video of it. The kids busted through, got everything. Damn, somebody. If it's I see the got its own problems. Supreme if I see the Gons, if I see the Gons, if I see the big Gons piece pop up on the I'll let you know. Someone, someone in the Bronx has a big Gons piece right now. They hit the Uber that night. <laughs> but, you know, for all the problems Supreme has, you know, Carlisle Group, et cetera, et cetera, it's like you didn't you didn't have James Jebbia coming up on Instagram or giving a statement to the New York Times talking about we're really disappointed that yeah, no, street no. community. Because it's like these are kids. You these charge it to the game. That's what all you that's, you got to charge it to the game. And and his whole statement about Virgil's statement about like this isn't what streetwear is about. Like if someone would have the thing that really irked me was like if if any of my friends would have tried to loot Supreme back in the day, we would have caught a forty ounce to the head. And it's like this this dumb romanticization of like an era that like a like. I don't know to what degree he was a part of that. Like that picture from GQ of him doing an ollie with his laces messed up really has me thinking a type of way. But, <laughs> but beyond that, it's like, what about low heads? What about like the whole culture of like racking shit? He like, he runs mm-hmm. like he's, he's obsessed now with like graffiti culture, doing the Arcteryx, like fake, whatever mm-hmm. running the Iraq gang shit. And it's like graffiti culture is built on stealing spray paint, bro. Like, it's literally the it's literally the backbone of the culture. And it's, so it's like to talk as though like you are this like ambassador or expert on like subculture, even though you have so quickly and so earnestly sold everything about it to the fashion industry. 
and then to turn around and make and make this like grandiose statement of like this is why I think streetwear is dead. It really just it really just irks me. And it's like beyond. I mean, obviously, then the race element of it, where it's like, bro, there are bigger things to talk about right now than like your thoughts on streetwear. Mm-hmm. Like, I I just don't get it. And his I could go on and on. The clothes, I don't get it. I don't understand why for years people have just been gassing this man up. Mm-hmm. There, there are better. There are better black designers. I'll just end it there. There are better black designers. <laughs> Damn, Jeff. I, I, you know, bro. I really thought you liked to drip, but I guess not. I mean, I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> yeah, miss me with the off white belt. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think that I think that the real. I mean, the the money stuff. I agree. I think he. It was clear he was like matching a donation, and that's that's what that thing has become. And that this is why I think that can sometimes be problematic. Is shit like this happens. And it's like, it, it, it's it's like, did you really think this guy didn't donate more money than fifty dollars? Like, of course he did. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think right. that. I don't think that's really part of. The I mean, I think that I think that just became a caveat for people to express their frustrations with his his entire presentation. You know? No, like, no, I think to, so. I, I think so too. I think so down too. Down to I, the, the the Louis show in Paris, where it was like New York in the eighties, and like you know, there's that great New Yorker article where like Doreen St. Felix does such a good job, like not dissing him, but dissing him, where it's like you know, oh, there's a chair, but he made sure to knock it over because that's New York. And it's like, <laughs> really, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I do think, that, I mean, I, I just think that to talk, I mean, yeah, I, I just, you know, streetwear in, in this time is the most unnecessary conversation you could possibly have. Um, and I think that, to me, that's the unnecessary part of the whole thing. Um, I think the rest of it is is obviously just up to the user. You know what I mean? But I think the, the it can be universally agreed that talking about streetwear right now is not the point. Just not the look. Well, not maybe the look. That, that's the bottom maybe line. Maybe Virgil, you know, he's he's you know, if he's been racking like a racking um, designs and cultures and everything like that, and and reselling it to young people, maybe one day he will, you know. He will give that money back, Robin Hood style. You know, taking taking his money from these big corporations, selling it back to the kids, and then using that money to do something more powerful and better. Hopefully, I guess. I mean, yeah. If he was, you know, if you're going to live or you know appropriate the entire graffiti I think, ethos, I think that's like, that would that's be a nice ending. Thing about that's such an interesting thing about Supreme, right? It's like you know, if especially if you live in New York and like even vaguely associate with skateboarders at all it really starts to become clear how many of these kids in one way or another are in that office. And like, there's a lot to be said about yeah. the degree to which, you know, how much money certain people are making versus other people, what the designers look like, et cetera. But it's like, when you talk about quote unquote, the culture and giving back to quote unquote, the culture, like mm-hmm. you can do that without, you can do that quietly. You can do that where the kids know what's good mm. and like that's all that matters. Which is our, where, which is a hundred percent more important to me exactly, in my exactly. in my mind in my mind. Even even like a brand like Noah, which is like you know a relatively younger brand, it's the same thing where it's like the amount of kids who are in the streets skating from whatever background that they put on, the amount of kids who are making art who are shooting photos, like that's yeah. what the whole like streetwear culture is about. It's not about these dumb T-shirts or whatever, man. It's not about like the fact that your homie had a store in Chicago. It's about like the young kids who come to New York or come go to LA or whatever Mm -hmm. from their backwoods background or whatever, 
because they love skateboarding because they hate their parents because no one understood them where they're from and like they found a community and a family that they can like vibe with that's what it's that's what it's all about like mm-hmm. to, to be out here during a global pandemic during a, a crisis of policing talking about your friend's store and how important it was to you not even to like the kids now but to you is just like mm-hmm. i can't back it well, people, I mean, the, the number one crime of social media during this stuff is making it about you. That's the number one. That's yeah. the number one crime across the board that I've seen where it's like, I, I don't know how I, I, I just don't know how you don't realize you're doing that. You know what I mean? But that to me is like is just the real issue in, in so many ways. And I mean, that's what but social media has taught us that it is all about us. So right, right. you can't unlearn that in, in, you know, a week because there's, there's bigger fish to fry. Um, and I, I think that that is, but besides the lack of empathy, I think that's probably the number one thing uh, that people are dealing with as far as like what to do on social media and, and public facing in general. Yeah. And I think yeah, people and I, I, that, that used to happen all the time and people would just sort of let it slide or not comment anything about it or gossip amongst their friends when they saw some bullshit like that going on. And now it's all being called out. It's, you know, influencers are, are being held to be transparent now. And that is changing everything. There was a really big push when all of this started and it, it kind of made me uncomfortable. And I've had to check myself on like my own views on this, but we saw a lot of people being like, so-and-so was silent, so-and-so hasn't said anything. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know, like, to me, celebrities saying anything, especially if it's not, you know, informed and educated, just sucks the air out of the conversation from people who do know what they're talking about and who should be elevated and whose voices should be elevated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, to me, like, everyone was so thirsty so early on to get uh, to get a statement from every black musician. You know, Don Lemon went on CNN talking about where's Drake, where's Kendrick Lamar, where's so-and-so. And like, what about, what about the thousands and thousands of people who have been doing this work for decades? Mm-hmm. Like why, why can't, why aren't they elevated to the same point as Beyonce or Jay-Z or whoever? Well, Beyonce, you know, all Beyonce has to do is, is retweet those people to, to her giant audience. But, right. you know, she's afraid of doing that because she could also lose millions of fans by sharing, you know, those, those views. And I think that way of thinking and that way of being able to protect yourself and just sort of release a, you know, a meaningless statement about things is is kind of gone and you kind of have to take a side now even if that means you're going to lose lose followers right which i, mean, I guess I, is one I, small positive i just i don't want to hear any celebrity who hasn't done the work and if you haven't done the work and you feel compelled to say something then like signal boost some of these people who are doing the work because mm-hmm. even for me as a writer it's like i'm i wake up every day realizing how little i know and like yeah. I, just, I just wish more people would think that way welcome mm-hmm. to our lives mm-hmm. <laughs> Every journey begins with a step, guys. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I Jeff. mean, hopefully, you know, hopefully all of these celebs will realize that signal boosting somebody with a strong, powerful message, you know, you can do that and you will still wake up with millions of dollars in your bank account tomorrow and, yeah, the money ain't and going life's going to be fine. The money really isn't going anywhere. I, it really isn't. I also just think that, like, I, I mean... And also, I, you might even end up making more money because more. Of it. That's what I was gonna say. That's what I was gonna say. I think for some people, it could you can do the right thing, and it can also be financially good and and 
and you have nothing to worry about. You'll lose some Fairweather fans and and galvanize fans for life at the same and time. And being on the being on the right side of a cause feels good. Feels you good. know, like like I never use Instagram story. I've never reposted Instagram story in my life ever until a couple days ago. Very surprised to see that from me. I was like, Chris uh, Black is very off-brand. I, but I, that's what I mean, though. It's because like I actually think about what's going on. And sure, it took me longer than it should have, but I actually think about what's going on. And I'm like, what the fuck are you worried about, you idiot? Like, there's people dying, and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. It's just crazy. It's crazy that I let it get that far, but I think I'm not alone in that, you know, where it's like I'm overthinking this stuff. And it's not about offending anyone for me because I don't really care about that. But it's just like it's doing something new um, and saying something that – that um I don't, you know, it's something that, like you said, I don't really know how to say it myself. So amplifying someone who does is what I can do. Mm-hmm. That's what everyone should think about. Because I, I think, like, it's like how after COVID started, the pandemonium around droplets and joggers. And this yeah, and yeah. It was like suddenly the whole world was like epidemiologists. And it's like, let's let real experts talk <laughs> and just everyone settle down. No, I mean, 100 percent. Like, I, I think that at least at least for us, I think we have the podcast where we're able to talk about it, which is more interesting and easier to learn from than than like tweets or, or Instagram stories. Um, but but I yeah, the amount of experts social media has made a lot of experts. That's one of its many pitfalls. Speaking of Jeff, what do you think is going to happen um, with COVID? What's the future of COVID looking like? Is it is COVID oh, what's, canceled? What's, co- what's COVID? I don't. I COVID forgot about who? her. COVID? <laughs> COVID, I, I, yeah, I, COVID is. I, de- I mean, COVID is canceled in most of America at this point. I right? went to COVID. I went to COVID's hood, and they did not know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they, I, like what? it's crazy do you think do you think it's just are we just fucked or were we overreacting the whole time i mean i'm not gonna say i was like a covid truther because mm, you've killed yeah. hundred thousand people it you know it definitely was ravaging communities but i think when you look at like the the areas in which we focused right there was a whole week where the only thing anyone wanted to talk about was people in the park people jogging without a mask on. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much focus on things that really didn't hone in on the specifics of the issue. Yeah. But now it's, it's hard for people to even understand what's going on. It's like Cuomo let nursing homes basically just become like death camps. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it, a concerted effort of, of containing the virus would have prioritized certain communities and certain demographics that are most at risk as opposed to this like blanket throw everything at the wall. Cause we don't know what the hell we're doing and hope for the best, which is basically what our policy has been up to now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what the, I mean, the future is going to be weird. I was actually spending some time with um, a, guy, a restaurant guy who he does the, the white, the new white restaurant. And in that world, people seem to just feel like dining bars, clubs, that whole, that whole dynamic of existence is over. And it's going to take time for people to really realize that it's over, but it's over. I I don't share that view because I like to feel happiness in my life, but yeah, it's very possible. It's very do you think possible that, that do you like, think they're talking about a, uh, that in America specifically or the the entire world? Because I think there are lots of a lot of parts of the world that have gone back to normal, and they are in the club right now. Are they in the club? In, oh, yeah. in Asia, yeah. And, well, there was that whole thing Europe, in South Korea Europe kind of doesn't really a, give a fuck anymore. 
they had an outbreak in South Korea after reopening. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Barakine's open, I'm going to catch a flight. <laughs> Barakine, yeah, I mean, interesting. Are you a techno head? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay, guys. Uh, Jeff, thanks for being here. Um, uh, I Damn. we now I find out now that you're a member of the EDM community now that the show is ending Uh-oh. I don't know if EDM is the right word well EDM is the term we use um, I mean, so you know, the proper EDM not this current you know David Guetta right, EDM right, bro. Right. I'm talking about I the saw real you, shit I, I saw you repost that David Guetta MLK thing though and I thought that was big of you Jeff <laughs> To don't, support don't do me like that, don't do me like that. So who um, <laughs> can you can you signal boost some um, some some DJs, producers, musicians that you're a fan of? Uh, Not black girls, just in general. I just want to know who you're into. Well, I got to start with a, with with some people of color. So Turtle Bug, uh, he's from New York. But I think he's in Detroit now. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else do I like? Shouts out Gaucher Lustwork. Love him. Big fan. Uh the fuck you guys talking about yellow man we're, Kilo we're man. naming um black djs chris yeah well now 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 there's some white guys plo man is great mm-hmm. um, i think he's from canada mm. uh there's this guy from montreal that i just got into uh i think his name is like a priori he's got this record called on a nimbus that's crazy damn that record crazy that record go crazy <laughs> on a nimbus yeah like a, like the cloud yeah damn that's a really bad name shut no, up Shut up. <laughs> Priori. Shut up, Chris. You know, I've been trying to get Chris to listen to some intelligent dance music for, for decades. Intelligent it's, dance music. All I do is listen to I listen to intelligent guitar music. So Look, kill Square me. Pusher is the only thing Chris is into. Um this this Priori art, artwork is very interesting. Okay. Yeah, run that. That's the intro music. Alright, I will uh, uh-oh, I no well, since he's since he's white, I can take some money out of his pocket and play his music without giving him a cut. <laughs> there, there you go, Jason. Once again on the front lines. Run uh, that. Run that. Mm-hmm. All right, bro. Jeff, tell them uh, where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I'm on Instagram under my name, Jeffy Haza. I also make a magazine called Secret on the side. You mm-hmm. can find that on Instagram, Secret Magazine. You can find me on Mike.com slash culture and chris black had a little piece in there right yeah chris black, we, we got we got the chris black byline in there please support a black owned business by buying the issue that i'm in um <laughs> that'd be, be great it uh, must have felt good um editing chris's work i could only imagine oh yeah very very timely very timely chris well <laughs> hey look this is a while ago give me a break um <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Honestly, um, a lot of insight here, and I think it was important for us to talk to you and kind of hear hear where you're coming from. Um, and uh, I think people will will enjoy it. Cool. Thank you, guys. Hey, of course, man. Appreciate we'll talk it. to you soon, Jeff. All right. All right. Later, fam. Bye-bye. Later. Later.